I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll walk through verses 1 through 16 this morning as we continue on in our series through this important book as we look at what truth is there. As we think about what it means to live as believers in the world in which we find ourselves, what we've seen is for Paul, he is for the first three chapters in the book of Ephesians laid out for us as believers, here is who you are in Christ. This is what is true about you. Here's what you used to be. Here's what you are now. Paul has laid that out, and interestingly enough, as we've said over and over and over and over again, he just continues to beat that drum because we need to internalize, we need to understand, we must comprehend what Christ has done in our lives as believers, You know, it's easy for us to look and just to say, I just want to know how do I live life? Like, I want to get to the good stuff. Like, how am I supposed to relate to my spouse? How am I supposed to deal with my children? How am I supposed to interact in a world that seems to have gone crazy? How am I to interact in a church family? What do I do with spiritual warfare in the heavenly places that is going on around me, even as I seek to live out this life. What's interesting is, Paul is going to unpack all of that for us from chapter four through six, but I don't want you to lose sight of what he said about you as a follower of Jesus in the first three chapters. See, the truth is for us, that must serve as the foundation for how we live our lives. So you may have come in this morning and you have not yet taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to encourage you, even as we walk through the text this morning, what would prevent you from taking that step? What would prevent you from trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior? to have your sins forgiven, to be brought in right relationship with God, what would prevent you from doing that? Maybe for you, that's the step that you need to take this morning. As we walk through the text, I want to encourage you to think through that. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to know that this passage of Scripture is going to highlight for you First and foremost, how as believers do we live our lives within the body of Christ? How do we grow spiritually? How do we navigate what's going on in the life of the church? What does that actually look like? With the foundation of who we are in Christ, how do we conduct ourselves? How do we grow spiritually? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to read the text for us. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, and from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I don't know about you, but I absolutely hated math in school. And then last year when our kids ended up at home and we were the teachers, Some of you parents, you identify with that. And you come across what is called common core math. And you realize that math was already hard enough. And then you add that on top of it, and then what's the point? One of the, uh, if you're a math teacher, I apologize. It is so very important. Math is needed. There we go. All right. Let me just clarify, right? I don't want to get in trouble. You can send me an email. Scott Curlin at gonorthriver.org, okay? In saying that I hated math, the funny thing is that I ended up first going to college thinking I was going to be an engineer, right? 
And so I ended up taking calculus in college. I made a B and I made a C and I thank Jesus that I made it out, right? I mean, that was really the truth of it. But here's the thing that changed for me between math in high school and math in college. In high school, the expectation of the teachers in math class was that you were to not only know how to utilize a formula, but you were actually supposed to memorize the formula that you were supposed to use. When I got to college, they handed you a piece of paper and said, here are the formulas, you can use this for the test. And I thought, that's the way I need to learn math. (laughs) Because here's the thing, when you understand the formula, when you know how to plug in the pieces, you can get the answer that you're trying to find. Now, here's what I want you to see in the text this morning, that we find Paul laying out for us a formula of sorts. So when we think about what it means to grow spiritually, when we think about what it means for the church to grow, how does that actually take place? And let me stop you from thinking, pastor's just talking about growing the numbers. That's not at all what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what does it look like for the church of Jesus Christ to grow spiritually? What does it look like for you and I as we are gathered together at North River Church, as we lock arms together, as we are seeking to live out the mission that Jesus has given us, what does it look like for us to grow in our walk with the Lord so that all of us are experiencing the spiritual growth that God intends for us to experience? See, the truth is Jesus doesn't save us so that we could come to church and sit and soak and sour for the rest of our lives. He saves us so that he can use us for his glory so that the gospel message continues to spread. What we see in the text this morning is a formula of sorts, and I want to give you that as the main idea. So this will frame our time together in the text this morning, and we're going to unpack it together as we continue to walk through the text verse by verse this morning. But here's the formula. Unity plus diversity equals growth. Unity plus diversity equals growth. Now here's what I want you to write down. Under unity, it is unity in the Spirit. Paul's going to unpack that for us in verses 1 through 6 of Ephesians chapter uh, chapter 4. So unity in the Spirit plus diversity of gifts. I want to see Paul emphasize for us that every single one of us as believers has been gifted by God to use our gifts in the body of Christ. And when we are unified together using our gifts to build up the body of Christ, here's the amazing thing that Paul says happens. The church grows spiritually. So unity plus diversity equals growth. Let's unpack it together as we look back at the text this morning. As you take notes, write down this truth. As followers of Jesus... First, we must 
diligently work to maintain unity. Paul writes in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, it's the second time that Paul has reminded these believers in Ephesus that as he's writing this letter, he is actually imprisoned in this moment. He is living out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it has put him in chains. And he says to them, I a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It's interesting that Paul uses that phrase because it's the same phrase that he's previously used in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, when he says to the believers, you used to walk in the passions of your flesh. You used to do whatever you wanted to do. That's what you used to do. That was what your life was characterized by until you met Jesus. And then it all changed. So here Paul says, walk in a manner. Let your life be characterized by the calling to which you have been called. For you as a follower of Jesus this morning, you have been called to be part of the family of God. You have been called on mission for Jesus Christ. That is your calling. That's the desire that God has for your life. Regardless of what your vocation may be, your calling is to live every single day on mission for Jesus Christ. Paul says here, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love now let's just be honest church there's a lot that we could unpack right there i don't know about you but i'm reading that bit of conviction right that for us as believers that we should be eager to be marked by humility in our lives. We should be eager to be marked, he says here, by gentleness. We should be eager to be marked by patience. We should be eager to bear with one another in love. He continues on in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Have you ever experienced a church where there was a lack of unity? Where it was a bit chaotic, where what's described here you know was not taking place at all. It was not marked by humility. It was not marked by gentleness. It was not marked by bearing with one another in love. It was not marked by unity at all. But what Paul says here is that as we live out the Christian life from the foundation of what Christ has done in us, that this should be the environment that we experience in the body of Christ. Notice what he says continuing on here. Verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, 
Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Paul has wrapped up the reality for us as believers that once Jesus Christ transforms our lives, that we are now part of a family, and that family includes every single believer on this planet. Regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic background, regardless of any of the things that the culture may tell us should separate us, for us as believers, this reminds us that we are part of one family. I don't know if you know this or not, but Sometimes one of the most difficult places to be is in church. I don't know if you've experienced church fighting or not in your time as a believer, but let's just be honest with each other. It's ugly. And to a world that is looking from the outside, they look at believers and watch Believers oftentimes argue and fuss and mistreat one another and fail to demonstrate what Paul says should be demonstrated here. And we wonder why people don't want to come to church. You know, it's interesting for me as a pastor to have conversations with people who have walked away from the Lord for that very reason. They have looked at the church and they said, if that is what it's all about, I don't want anything to do with that. I want you to notice that for Paul here, Paul is wholesale committed to the local church. For Paul, he is so dialed in to the impact that the church can make in the culture in which it finds itself that for him he says here give your lives to the church give your lives invested in a body of believers it's easy for us as the culture has transformed as we look around and Many churches are doing everything they can to get people to come in the doors and they're not really worried about doctrine. They're not really worried about speaking truth. It's just however many people we can get in the door. But hear me this morning, there should be something marked different about us as believers. For Paul here, he is looking and he's saying to these believers, work diligently within the body of Christ to maintain unity. Now as we look at that, here's what we have to recognize. That for us as believers, that there are first tier doctrinal issues that distinguish us from everyone else. There are things that are at the top that for us as a believer, you're going to call yourself a Christian, you've got to lock into these as doctrinal distinctions for you. Things that Scripture speaks clearly about, we have to speak clearly about. We have to affirm those things. We have to stand firm on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We can't compromise in that. We can't water that down and remain true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It can't happen. And as Paul is emphasizing here, notice how he describes this unity. He says, there is one body. Globally, in this moment, there is one body of Christ. That is, every believer across the world. And then there are local bodies of believers, North River Church being one of those. But as we look around, what we have to recognize and understand is that we are part of the body of Christ. And in that, he says there's one body. He also says here, there is one spirit. Speaking of the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. He says here, just as you were called to the one hope. What is the one hope that we as believers have been called to? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. He continues on and he says, one Lord. Speaking of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. That Jesus Christ for us as believers is Lord over our lives. One faith. Now here's where we get a little squirrely when it comes to the culture in which we live that says there are multiple ways to get to God. But for Paul, that's not the case. For us as believers, we know that is not the case. There's one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. His life, His death, His burial and His resurrection. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, the Son. Church, we are unified on that. One baptism. As we celebrated last Sunday and as we'll celebrate Sunday next week, baptism. Where publicly, those who have taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior declare what Christ has done in their lives. It says in verse 6, one God. Speaking of the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, who is Father of all and who is over all and through all and in all. So for us as believers, we are unified around those truths. That is what marks us. That is what defines us. That is what makes us different. For us as believers, we must work diligently to maintain the unity around that. Because here's what's going on, if you don't know this, constantly in the culture in which we live, constantly working to attack some area there. Maybe Jesus isn't the only way. Maybe salvation's not through Jesus alone. Maybe everybody gets to heaven. But that's not what the Scriptures teach. 
And we can't compromise on that. We have to remain unified on that. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to grasp in that. We can remain unified on the truth of what God's Word teaches and not be jerks. You with me? That's where the first part comes in. That with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love that we stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ on what God's word teaches but we do it in such a way that people may say something like hey now I don't agree with you but I'd have a cup of coffee with you And here's what I want to caution us as believers as we remain unified on the truths of what God's Word teaches that we do so in such a way that we don't turn people off because of how we act. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive enough, Paul tells us. To a world looking at it, they say that is foolishness. But for us who are being saved, we know that it is the power of God unto salvation. So for us as believers, Paul says we must diligently work to maintain unity. Notice as we continue on, verses 7 through the first part of verse 12, here's the second truth as followers of Jesus, we must quickly discover and deploy our spiritual gifts. Notice verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, He led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul here is quoting from the Psalms and he's highlighting the reality that for us as followers of Jesus, when Jesus Christ transforms our lives, that the Spirit of God comes and indwells our lives and brings with it at least one spiritual gift that is to be utilized to build up the body of Christ. That God's plan, Jesus' mission, was for us to be so equipped to fulfill what He's called us to do that He gifts us so that we can make it happen through His power and through His strength. Verse 9, in saying that He ascended, that is, Jesus Christ, as you look back and you realize that prior to Jesus giving His disciples His last words, which was the great commission to go and to make disciples of all nations, that immediately following that, He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so that's what He's saying. He ascended, what does it mean? But that He also descended into the lower regions of the earth. In theological terms, we call this the incarnation when Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, stepped foot out of heaven and the glories that pertain to it and came to this earth as a baby in a manger. That's the description that Paul is making here. It says in verse 10, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. 
Notice this in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So who in the church is called to ministry? You may think it's the pastors that are called to ministry, but not according to Paul. According to Paul, every single believer in the church is called to ministry. Meaning that God desires to use every single person at North River Church for His glory. And He has gifted you and equipped you to use your gifts in such a way to build up the body of Christ. So when you look at myself, when you look at Pastor Scott, when you look at Pastor Aaron, your temptation may be to say, they are the ones who are doing ministry at North River Church. We are not. In fact, what Paul says our responsibility as pastors in the church is to equip you to help you use the gifts that God has given you. So for you... Here's my question this morning. Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know the spiritual gifts that God has given you? Have you discovered those? One of the great tools that's made available through lifeway.com, you can just simply type in Google Lifeway and spiritual gifts inventory, but it'll give you a glimpse of the gifts that God has given you. Gifts like encouragement, gifts like teaching, gifts like hospitality, gifts that God desires to use to do ministry within the church. So for you this morning, here's your homework. Find out what your gifts are. And then find avenues where you can deploy those gifts in the body of Christ. I want you to notice as we continue on the second part of verse 12. If you're taking notes, here's the third truth. As followers of Jesus, we must eagerly anticipate spiritual growth. So as we've seen, unity in the Spirit plus diversity of gifts equals, notice what Paul says here at the second part of verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. How does the church grow? The church grows when its members are using their gifts to build up the body of Christ. That's how the church grows. That's how the church grows spiritually. He continues on, until, notice the end date on this, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Think about that for just a second. Paul says here, we are to remain unified as believers gathered together and we are to discover and deploy our spiritual gifts so that the body of Christ is built up, so that we grow 
spiritually, individually, and collectively. And notice what he says. The end date of that is until we're all mature in Christ. Well, when does that happen? When we see Jesus face to face. There's never a moment. There's never an expiration date where you can look and say, Pastor, I have served and I'm done. Doesn't come. Because Paul says it doesn't end until we are fully mature in Christ. And when does that day come? When we take our last breath on this earth and we spend the remainder of eternity with Jesus Christ. Notice the benefit of this. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We have an enemy that is doing everything he can to tear the church apart. He would love nothing more than to create disunity in this body to get you so comfortable that you think I don't have to do anything but just show up and get what's coming to me. But here, that's not what Paul says. He says, as we remain unified and deploy our gifts in the body of Christ, we grow spiritually, we grow doctrinally, we grow firm in our convictions, firm in the foundation of God's Word, so that we're not rocked to and fro when the storms of life come, because the truth is the storms of life will come. And we're also not knocked off course by false doctrine when it comes. Here's what I want you to understand, that being part of the body of Christ, being part of a local church family, enables you, when life storms come, to have people that are walking with you through those storms. And when false teaching rears its ugly head, which at some point it will... Check one, two. All right. As I said, Satan's doing everything he can. <laughs> but as we see, verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. And it's through Christ that the whole body, that's every single one of us, is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, every single one of us, is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a beautiful picture of growth in the body of Christ. I want to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads and close your eyes. and We'll have an opportunity to respond to the Lord this morning as our worship team makes their way back up. Maybe for you this morning... 
as I've mentioned at several points in our service, maybe today is the day that you need to take the step of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Of coming to the recognition that you are a sinner who is in need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ is the only one through His life, death, burial, and resurrection the only one who can save you from your sin. If that's you this morning, if that's the step that you need to take as we sing in just a little bit, I want to encourage you to make your way down to the front. I'll be down front. Pastor Aaron will be down here as well. And we would love nothing more than to help you take that step. Maybe you're here this morning and for you, you are a follower of Jesus. And maybe for you this morning, the Lord has convicted your heart. You say, Pastor, I am doctrinally sound. I know what God's word teaches, but the truth is, The words that Paul uses to describe what our lives should be marked by, humility and gentleness, patience and love, those are not present. And I need to confess that. Ask the Lord to change my heart. Maybe you're here this morning and you look and say, Pastor, I need to plug in to North River Church. I need to serve. I need to use my gifts here. This needs to be my church home. This needs to be my church family. Maybe for you, that's where you are this morning. And if that's the case, I encourage you to come down and just let us know that. We've had a number over the last number of weeks who've taken that step of joining North River Church and calling this home. Maybe that's the step you need to take. Father, we ask this morning that you would use this time to draw our hearts close to you. That you would use this time to remind us of the beauty the majesty of what Christ has done in us. To remind us that your church globally and this church in particular is the means whereby you desire to transform this community and the world. Help us join you in that mission using our gifts to build up the body of Christ so that it grows the way it's intended. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing? And if you need prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to come down. You need to take a step of trusting Jesus Christ. You come down this morning.